Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Over 1,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records set loose on the streets in December. That's what new data from the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement shows. Governor Kathy Hochul says the era of defunding the police in New York State is over, and she announced plans to give more money to law enforcement. This tax season expects surprises that it could impact your wallet. What should you keep in mind when filing? One expert gives the do's and don'ts. The U.S. sending over 30 of its state-of-the-art main battle tanks to Ukraine. President Biden saying it's not an offensive threat, Russia calling it a provocation. We bring you analysis. A new study projects a more severe COVID-19 wave in China, contradicting Beijing's claims. New evidence comes from rural areas where death rates remain high. The Department of Homeland Security freed over 1,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records from its detention facilities in December. The aim was to make room for a border surge that never materialized. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. Month after month, year after year, this gets worse. According to a Washington Times report, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement says it released 515 illegal immigrants with criminal records and 641 facing active criminal charges. Deportation officers said they were given orders to halt arrests. They were asked to clear out space for an expected influx due to a pandemic border policy change. The releases were tied to the Title 42 pandemic border policy scheduled to end just before Christmas. Senator John Thune criticized Biden's steps on the border. He could reinstate uh, Remain in Mexico policy. He could quit trying to do away with the Title 42 uh, policy that has given our Border Patrol agents at least some wherewithal in order to stop people who are trying to come here illegally. Biden said in early January that Title 42 makes the border situation worse. In the end, the Supreme Court ruled that Title 42 must remain in place while it hears and considers arguments. In related news, Representative Chip Roy is sponsoring the Border Safety and Security Act of 2023, also known as H.R. 29. Here's Roy on Fox News. This administration is trying to use asylum and parole policies to end run their actual duty, their actual oath to secure the border of the United States. The bill requires the DHS to either detain or turn away non-U.S. nationals without valid entry documents. A state may also sue DHS to enforce this requirement. Senator James Lankford illustrates the problem border towns are facing using the example of Yuma, Arizona. He says three years ago, the town had just over 8,000 people illegally cross. This past year, Yuma, Arizona had 310,000 people illegally cross through the area. The current system is more of a catch and release system. Illegal immigrants are given a trackable phone and a court date. They are then released into the U.S. with any hearing on their case years down the road. Roy's border bill has met with fierce opposition from a wide array of immigration advocacy groups. A group of 253 non-government organizations penned a joint letter to members of Congress. They say the bill would return refugees of all nationalities and ages, including children, directly to harm and death. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. We turn to an undercover sex trafficking sting operation in two affluent North Texas suburbs. Now 46 men are arrested. They include a youth pastor, a high school football coach, a professional hockey player, and a director of operations for a large hospital network. Homeland Security investigations spearheaded the operation as part of its Human Trafficking Awareness Month. 
In the operation, law enforcement officers responded to online solicitations for prostitution. They arranged meetups at upscale hotels. The suspects were arrested upon arrival without incident. Many of the men arrested were from cities in North Texas. One man was from Colorado, another was from Oklahoma, and a third was from California. No more defunding the police in New York State. That's what the governor says. According to her, some parts of law enforcement should get more money. New York's Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul this week held a press conference at the Capital Region Crime Analysis Center in Albany. She took a stance against defunding law enforcement. We're not defunding police. We are really ramping up funding for police, you know, so all that era is over. The Crime Analysis Center, where she spoke, is one of 10 such centers across the state. They're meant to provide local law enforcement with crime analysis, information, and investigative support. She praised the center's technology and announced plans to expand the network of facilities to New York City. She also proposed increases in funding for the state's gun-involved violence elimination initiative and its district attorney's offices. In a related statement, she said there is no greater obligation than ensuring every New Yorker can live in safety, and that has always been my number one priority. Hochul has been critical of defunding the police in the past. Last July, she pledged her support for law enforcement. Uh, I said no one will ever say the words defund the police in my presence. That is not going to go anywhere. You're not going to make friends with me if you say that. In fact, in my budget, I said we're going to show our commitment to making sure you have the resources to do what you need to do. Some experts say there's no other way besides funding law enforcement in New York due to the high number of resignations. According to the New York Post, over 3,700 New York City police officers retired or resigned from the force in 2022. That's the biggest exodus since 2002. At the same time, 2021 saw the highest number of homicides in a decade. Over 260 people were killed in the Big Apple. Psychologist and retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman says those numbers hint at a bigger problem. He told the Epoch Times, a civilization that sees the crooks as the good guys and the cops as the bad guys cannot survive. He urges communities to come together in support of their local law enforcement. The FBI has shut down a website used by a notorious ransomware gang. There was a message Thursday on the website of the hacking group called Hive. They used that website to expose victims' information. The message says the website has been taken over as part of a coordinated law enforcement operation by the FBI, Secret Service, and European agencies. The FBI says as of November, the hackers stole personal data and extorted more than $100 million from 1,300 organizations around the world, many of them hospitals and healthcare companies. The news is the latest in a series of Justice Department efforts to crack down on overseas ransomware groups that lock up U.S. companies' computers, disrupt their operations, and demand millions of dollars to unlock the systems. Justice officials have urged companies not to pay off the criminals. A new video released last night by Project Veritas says Pfizer is intentionally mutating the COVID virus in a lab using monkeys and so-called directed evolution. Within one hour, the video got a million views. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story. Jordan Tristian Walker is an alleged director of research and development at Pfizer. Walker discussed how Pfizer is dealing with the reality that their vaccines aren't as potent against emerging COVID variants. 
We're exploring, like, no, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating viruses. The alleged Pfizer executive says the information is not something they share with the public and that the public, quote, won't like that. He went on to detail how Pfizer would carry out that kind of experiment, first using animals. The way it would work is like we put them in the virus in these monkeys. Okay. And then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them and then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. The alleged Pfizer executive then describes other ways Pfizer mutates the COVID virus. Well, you're not supposed to do game function research with the viruses, like, yeah. they recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected directional mutations to try to see if you make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There not be any more outbreaks, just like, Jesus Christ. Walker then touched upon regulation of the pharma industry. The Veritas journalist asked Walker how he feels about that, quote, revolving door. It's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being regulated, they want to work for the company, they're not going to be as hard for the company. They're doing their job. Right. Walker added that whatever happens with new variants, COVID is going to be a cash cow for Pfizer for a while going forward. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. As of today, that video already has over 17 million views. A California judge halted the state's so-called COVID-19 misinformation and disinformation law yesterday. Doctors in two lawsuits challenged it, arguing it violates their constitutional rights. The doctors filed their lawsuit against Governor Gavin Newsom and the Medical Board of California and others. They argued the law prevents them from providing information to their patients that may contradict what the law permits or prohibits. They also alleged the law was used to intimidate and punish physicians who disagreed with prevailing views on COVID-19. Judge William Shubb ruled that the doctor's fears are reasonable. This, given the ambiguity of the term scientific consensus and of the definition of misinformation as a whole. A Food and Drug Administration official has stepped down, citing structural issues within the agency. The Deputy Commissioner of Food Policy and Response informed the FDA Commissioner he is resigning effective February 24th. In his resignation letter, Frank Yanis detailed his unhappiness with the decentralized structure of the FDA's food safety program. He said it significantly impaired the FDA's ability to operate as an integrated food team and protect the public. He also proposed the FDA create a more centrally focused food program. Giannis joined the FDA in 2018. He says he told the commissioner last February he had considered leaving because of structural problems at the agency. But he delayed his departure so he and his team could focus on the infant formula crisis, which has now been addressed. The official tax filing season kicked off this week, and people filing their returns are already seeing significant changes this year. Here's some do's and don'ts to make your filing experience as smooth as possible. This tax season, expect surprises that could impact your wallet. Several tax breaks have changed, and the IRS has announced new upgrades. Every tax year, there's something new for people to deal with. Money coach Lynette Calfani-Cox has these five do's and don'ts to avoid surprises when filing your taxes this year. 
One due, file electronically. You're going to get a faster refund check if you're owed. Two, this year there's no stimulus money headed your way, and there's been changes to certain tax credits, like the enhanced child tax credit, which was up to $3,600 per child and is now down to a maximum of $2,000. For a family that had two small kids, before they would have got $7,200. Now they're only going to get $4,000. Which leads to tip three. Don't expect a fat check from Uncle Sam. Last year, the average refund issued was $3,176. Experts say that's expected to be much lower this year. The fact that many people aren't going to get that big tax refund check that they had been anticipating is going to hurt a lot of families' budgets. Four, do get help filing, either from a professional or from the IRS. The IRS expects improved customer service this year. The agency says it's hired more than 5,000 people to take calls and added more in-person staff to support taxpayers. And five, don't procrastinate and file on time. This year, the official date to file returns by is Tuesday, April 18th. Tax filing and payment deadlines will be extended for anyone living in counties declared federal disaster areas due to recent natural disasters. That includes storm victims in several counties of California. They now have until May 15, 2023 to file their returns. IRS whistleblowers can now report misconduct directly to Congress. Congressman Jason Smith announces a new confidential online forum. He says it's part of the new Republican majority's aggressive oversight. According to Smith, it's a top priority for the House Ways and Means Committee to make sure government agencies are transparent and accountable and find any instances of waste, fraud, and abuse. Smith also sent a letter to the acting IRS commissioner requesting that all employees be informed about the portal. The panel advises potential whistleblowers to wait until after work hours to make any submissions. Smith has been critical of the IRS, accusing it of exposing confidential taxpayer information. Last September, the IRS said it accidentally exposed, but later removed, the confidential financial information of about 120,000 taxpayers. And coming up, a judge orders the release of the video showing Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi's husband being attacked by a hammer-wielding suspect. And is there a crack in high egg prices? Our bird flu outbreak is pushing up egg prices in the U.S. Now wholesale prices are falling, but it may not reach consumers for a while. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. A judge has ordered that evidence relating to the attack on Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi's husband must be released to the public. The San Francisco District Attorney's Office introduced audio and video evidence against accused attacker David DePap on December 14th, but refused to make it public. Wednesday's ruling came in response to a request by a group of media outlets to gain access to the footage despite prosecutors' requests to keep it secret. Accused attacker DePap's defense attorney objected to the release of the evidence, arguing it might impair his client's ability to get a fair trial. 42-year-old DePap is a Canadian national and is in the U.S. illegally. He faces state and federal charges, including attempted murder. If convicted, he could face life in prison. He has pleaded not guilty. The Arkansas Senate has approved new legislation. It would classify drag performances as an adult-oriented business, like strip clubs and escort services. The bill would ban drag performances on public property where anyone under the age of 18 could attend. The majority Republican Senate approved the bill on a 29-6 to vote along party lines. 
All six of the chamber's Democrat lawmakers oppose the bill. Senator Gary Stubblefield is the bill's sponsor. He argues the legislation is needed to protect children from sexually explicit content. Opponents of the bill say the legislation targets transgender people. The University of Florida strongly recommends deleting TikTok from devices. It says there are growing concerns over the security risks it poses. The university says there is a possibility that foreign governments may use TikTok to control data collection and compromise personal gadgets. It adds that TikTok's U.S. privacy policy indicates the company may collect biometric identifiers and biometric information such as face prints and voice prints. The university notes that all federal employees will soon be prohibited from using TikTok on government-issued devices and that 23 states have taken action against TikTok, including Florida. On that topic, Senator Josh Hawley announced Tuesday he would introduce a bill to ban TikTok nationwide. Hawley says the social media app is, quote, China's back door into Americans' lives. The senator says it threatens children's privacy as well as their mental health. The U.S. Transportation Department is investigating Southwest Airlines' meltdown over the holiday travel period. Southwest canceled nearly 17,000 flights between December 21st and December 29th. Investigators are looking at whether Southwest scheduled more flights than it could handle. If the airline's executives engaged in unrealistic scheduling, that could be considered an unfair and deceptive practice under federal law. The DOT says the probe is in its early stages. It told Southwest to provide timely refunds and reimbursements to impacted passengers and says it will hold the airline accountable if it fails to do so. For its part, Southwest issued a statement Wednesday saying it plans to fully cooperate with any government oversight. The airline says it's very focused on making sure the mass cancellations never happen again. A man has been charged with intentionally driving a vehicle into a Colorado police station. Grand Junction police say they have charged Nathan Chakan with several counts, including attempted murder, attempted assault, and attempted vehicular homicide by reckless driving. Chakan is accused of driving a pickup truck into the lobby of the police headquarters on purpose. They say several employees were in the area at the time of the crash. No one was injured. The wholesale price of eggs in the United States is coming down, but consumers probably won't see real savings at the grocery store for weeks or months. Americans stunned by the soaring price of eggs may have to wait months for some relief. After government data showed egg prices in December were up 138% from a year before at $4.25 per dozen, some analysts say it could be four to six months before prices ebb. The primary driver has been a devastating outbreak of avian influenza, also called AI or bird flu. You know, one of the worst AI outbreaks that we've ever seen in this country. We've lost um, right around 43 million egg-laying hens. The disease forced farmers to cull millions of egg-laying hens, decimating supplies which are now being rebuilt. Other price drivers are the costs of feed grain, fuel and labor, all boosted by inflation. If both those input costs and the bird flu abates, prices could follow, says Brian Moscogiuri, a global trade strategist for egg supplier Eggs Unlimited in Irvine, California. The hope is that, you know, as we get into the summer months, we will see, you know, repopulation kind of fully get us back to the levels that, you know, we need to be to balance supply and demand. But there is a lot of uncertainty regarding, again, the the spring migration and, and birds, you know, moving back up north and flying over the country and the amount of AI that they've been finding in the wild bird population. But I would say 
hopefully the consumers have already seen, you know, the highest price that they will see at the shelf and will potentially see some relief in the future. The surge in egg prices has led one U.S. farm group to demand a federal probe. The group Farm Action last week sent a letter to the chair of the Federal Trade Commission asking her to investigate record high profits at the top U.S. egg company, Calmain Foods. An attorney for Farm Action said he wanted the FTC to look into whether, quote, consumers are being price gouged. The FTC declined to comment. Calmain, which controls 20% of the retail egg market, reported last month its most recent quarter saw a 110% rise in net sales compared with a year earlier. Gross profits jumped more than 600% over the same period. In a statement, Calmain said that higher production costs, along with avian flu, were contributing to higher prices. Coming up, the White House commented on China's reporting on the country's COVID-19 situation, saying they are not fully transparent. The Signal Corps bikers were the center of attention at India's Republic Day Parade. We'll have footage of their acrobatic performance when we return. Welcome back. Now to the ongoing COVID crisis in China. We've been reporting on how the Chinese official data is apparently at odds with what's really happening on the ground. Now the White House weighs in on China's lack of transparency. COVID-19 has already ripped through much of China, but how big will the current virus wave get? On Wednesday, Beijing said infections have peaked and are starting to fall, reporting a daily death peak of over 4,000 on January 4th. On the other hand, a forecaster is raising its estimated number of cases and deaths for China's virus wave. UK-based health data firm Affinity added 11,000 deaths a day to its earlier estimates, meaning the new death peak will reach 36,000 on Thursday. Airfinity has also changed its prediction about the extent of China's COVID-19 outbreak. It now anticipates one larger and more severe wave compared to earlier expectations of two smaller successive waves. A bigger wave will put more strain on China's healthcare system, which could lead to higher fatalities. The change comes as people across China are traveling for the Lunar New Year, spreading the virus faster in the country's vast rural areas. Authorities reported an over 70% drop in COVID-19 deaths. But new evidence suggests that China's rural regions are experiencing large death rates. According to a BBC report, caskets are selling out in the northern part of China's Shanxi province. Local producers say they haven't had time to stop production in months. Some farmers buying caskets have reported that they sometimes sell out adding that those in the funeral business were earning a small fortune. In one village, photos have captured fresh earth mount graves along roadsides. A farmer there said COVID-19 is killing people one by one, including 40 locals who recently passed away. He added, quote, it's been nonstop over the past month. Is Beijing under-reporting the full impacts of China's COVID-19 outbreak? The White House weighed in on that during a briefing on Wednesday. 
So China's been saying that there's 70K COVID deaths in just over a month, up from just a dozen reported earlier this month. Does the U.S. believe that new number by the Chinese government, saying that there's been 70K deaths? The Chinese, uh, we have continued to encourage the Chinese to be cooperative with international um, uh, uh, reviews and, and studies about COVID, um, and they have not been fully transparent. Um, and we cannot speak to the veracity uh, of those numbers. We urge China to be fully transparent about what's going on. Staying in China, a 3,000-year-old artifact was knocked over when two Chinese tourists fought each other at a museum in the southwestern Sichuan province. According to photos and videos on Chinese social media, two men were spotted pushing and arguing in a jam-packed museum. A photo captured a bronze statue being knocked off its stand. The museum is built on an archaeological site where thousands of artifacts from the ancient Bronze Age have been excavated. India's Republic Day Parade featured the Corps of Signals motorcycle display team, better known as the Daredevils. Motorcyclists today performed daredevil acrobatic formations. First, dozens of riders drove down the parade venue in a large pyramid. Then four members formed smaller pyramids, some twirling ropes, some holding rifles, and others spinning on top of motorcycles. In more complex formations, bikers performed challenging stunts while holding black and blue flags, as well as riding upside down on the vehicles and climbing ladders and more. The parade was attended by Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the President of Egypt, who was there on an official state visit. It also showcased the Indian military's missiles, tanks, and jets. India won independence from British rule in 1947, but it was not declared a sovereign republic state until 1950, when it adopted its constitution. In Japan, there are vending machines that sell a range of food and drinks. Now there are even vending machines that sell whale meat. Let's take a look. Japanese whaling company Kyoto Simpaku inaugurated a new vending machine store in Yokohama. Two other stores opened in Tokyo in the past month. The company hopes to sell more of its products as it tries to boost demand for the dying food tradition. Major supermarkets aren't dealing with whale because they are being harassed by anti-whaling groups. There are many major supermarkets that are afraid of being harassed by anti-whaling groups, so they won't use whale. So there are many people who want to eat whale but can't. Therefore, we are opening stores with the thought that we can provide a place where those people can eat. The vending machines sell whale products, including frozen sashimi, steak and bacon, as well as canned stews. The products mostly use meat caught in Japan's waters. In the past, Japan's whaling industry had been heavily subsidized by the government, but those subsidies have been cut back, so companies are stepping up their promotions. So that's what they're probably trying to do, make it more popular, make, it more, make the people more aware about it, telling the people this is part of our national identity to make them increase their demand so that they will hopefully be able to sell more, so that's what we think is going on right now. So it's, it's, it's a big question if they will be successful in the end. As of now, to us it looks the people are not getting really influenced by that. Japan contends that whaling is an important part of its food culture. Whale meat played a key part in feeding households amid food shortages after World War II. A lot of childhood memories come back when I eat whale. At that time, 
people from overseas ate beef, but many Japanese people grew up eating whale meat. Annual whale meat consumption in Japan totaled just 1,100 tons in fiscal year 2021. At its peak in 1962, annual whale meat consumption amounted to over 250,000 tons. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, Russia is reacting to the U.S. and Germany's decision to send tanks to Ukraine. The Kremlin accuses NATO of becoming directly involved in the war. And a top court in Europe is taking up a case about the downing of flight MH17 in 2014. Russia is accused of being directly involved. More shortly here on NTD News Today. The U.S. is further bolstering Ukraine's military posture. It's delivering heavy firepower as the country fends off the Russian offensive. An analyst breaks down views from Washington and Moscow on the move, the impact of the West's resolve, and Russia-Germany relations. Joining us for some discussion is retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy, Grant Newsham. Grant, it is great to have you with us today. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. The U.S. is sending M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. President Biden says they are not an offensive threat to Russia. Russia responded saying it's impossible to justify such a step using arguments about defensive weapons and that this would be another blatant provocation. What is your reaction to this? Oh, the tanks themselves, 31 of them, are not a a huge threat to Moscow. It will give uh, Ukraine a better chance to defend itself. They're helpful. Uh, And they also have to be looked at in the context of additional tanks, uh, which the British, uh, the Germans, uh, the Poles, and some others are considering giving uh, to Ukraine. Uh, But they aren't, as I said, they're not a a huge offensive threat uh, to anybody uh, just yet. But of course, the Russians don't like it because it makes it a lot harder if you're going to attack Ukraine. Uh, But step back even farther, and it does show just how this war in Ukraine Uh, has escalated gradually uh, to the point where each side keeps upping the ante. Uh, And I'm not sure who was going to give first. Yes, it is interesting how you point out outside support from countries like Germany as well. The the war overall, 7,000 Ukrainian civilian casualties, millions displaced, supply chains disrupted, gas prices raised, billions in aid from the West, and even lighter vehicles that are most effective alongside tanks. Can you assess the West's resolve and can it turn the tide? Well, I think the result has surprised a lot of people, uh, not least in the West, uh, particularly the Europeans, getting their act together, sort of, uh, and deciding that maybe uh, Russia is a threat. Uh, Maybe even China is a threat as well, but for now, let's stick with Russia. But it has caused some European backbones to stiffen. They've done more militarily than anyone expected they would. I must say, even than I thought they would. Um, And that is, that's a change. Uh, But... Is this enough to, as you say, turn the tide? I think what some people expect is the Russians get driven out of Ukraine, all parts of occupied Ukraine, and we go back to to life as normal. Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen. And and these tanks alone aren't going to do it, of course. But is uh, there enough of uh, military, military support that can be given to Ukraine uh, to achieve this? 
you know, possibly, but it won't be easy. You know, make no mistake about that. It has to go with a, an awful lot of resolve on the economic warfare front, the financial warfare front, um, particularly being willing to treat Russia as a pariah for the foreseeable future. And I mean a long time. Uh, but you look at what the, uh, the downside of just uh, forgetting about it and let Ukraine sort of let it go. Well, then what you have is you go back to the start, and it is Russia that started this war. A member of the UN Security Council attacked an independent nation simply because it wanted it. And that's the basic issue here. If you allow that to happen, you're going to have a lot more of it around the world. And we th I think we know what we're talking about there as well. Uh, and I see what you that, mean, that this support can be a deterrence in a way. Now, I want to zoom in on Germany's decision to send sure. leopard tanks. The Russian embassy in Berlin, Berlin called that an extremely dangerous decision, and it destroys the remnants of mutual trust. Can you comment on relations now between Russia and Germany? <laughs> well, I think the, the Germans still haven't decided whose side they're on here. There are Germans who are very serious about supporting Ukraine. And then there's others who would, if they had their druthers, would like to support uh, Russia. So I'm not, I wouldn't put Germany into the, the good side just yet. Um, but this is a, a change from what Russia has been used to getting from Germany, which is pretty much everything they want. Uh, so it remains to be seen. Um, but the, the Russians are not happy at all about this. Because uh, it does show that there are at least some Germans who are willing to side with the idea of uh, sort of freedom, as, as we would take it. Uh, so this is a shock to, to the Russians. I think you can't overstate really the extent of uh, so political subversion, uh, elite capture in, in Germany uh, over the, the last few decades. Yes, and we'll have to see how those relations play out. Retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy, Grant Newsham, thank you for your analysis. Okay, thank you. Russia is reacting to the U.S. and allies' decisions to send tanks to Ukraine. Russian state TV broadcast a series of stories mocking the NATO member country's tanks. In one show, the presenter compared Germany's Leopard tanks to Russia's T-90s and said the Leopards are more primitive, heavier, less maneuverable, and had a shorter firing range. In a similar way, another program showed footage of America's most advanced Abrams tanks being struck in a number of past battles. The U.S. and Germany announced on Wednesday that they would send dozens of Abrams tanks and Leopard tanks to Ukraine. The Kremlin responded to the news earlier today. They said this is evidence of direct and growing NATO involvement in the conflict. Ukraine has been seeking hundreds of modern tanks from the West. Staying in Russia, a court has ordered Russia's oldest human rights organization, the Moscow Helsinki Group, to be shut down. Critics say the recent series of closures is reminiscent of the Soviet era. Founded in 1976 by Soviet dissident scientists, the group produced annual reports on Russia's human rights situation. It was one of the country's few remaining independent rights organizations. Russia's Justice Ministry filed a lawsuit against it in December last year. They argued that the group did not have the correct registration. They said the group was only registered to defend human rights in Moscow, not other parts of the country. The court agreed, and the Moscow-Helsinki group was liquidated on Wednesday. Russia has also banned one of the most widely read independent news sites in the country. It's a Latvia-based website called Medusa. Russian authorities dubbed it an undesirable organization, effectively outlawing it. The outlet can no longer operate in Russia, and Russians aren't allowed to cooperate with Medusa or its journalists. 
The designation is the latest in a years-long campaign by the Kremlin to curb independent media and stop their reporting from reaching ordinary Russians. It's escalated since Russia invaded Ukraine last year. Russia's general prosecutor said the news outlet, quote, poses a threat to the foundations of the constitutional system and the security of the Russian Federation. Medusa published a news story saying the new designation means continued operation in Russia comes under threat of felony prosecution and anyone who cooperates with the website could also face the same penalty. Over in Europe, the European Union's top human rights court has decided to hear a case about the downing of flight MH17 in 2014. The Netherlands is suing Russia in the case. The Dutch government argues Russia played a key role in the crash. That's because they were in effective control of the area of Ukraine from which the missile was fired. They also argue that Russia's denial of involvement has caused additional suffering to the victim's relatives. Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 was flying over territory held by pro-Russian rebels in eastern Ukraine in July 2014 when a missile shot it down. All 298 people on board were killed. London's Metropolitan Police Commissioner says dozens more officers are expected to appear in court in the coming months. As the force tries to root out corrupt officers, he says the public needs to prepare for more painful stories. Two or three Metropolitan Police officers are expected to appear in court each week in the coming months. Commissioner Sir Mark Rowley told the London Assembly Police and Crime Committee on Wednesday he expects the officers to be charged with dishonesty, sexual offence, violence and domestic violence. He said a new Met Police hotline is leading to new investigations. Uh, We've launched the first ever public appeal line through Crime Stoppers, the Crime Stoppers Police Integrity Hotline. Um, and we're getting sort of tens of calls a week to that that are leading us to uh, look at new cases. Some of those turn out to be malicious, but some of them turn out to be substantive, and those are generating new caseload. The Commissioner was speaking in the wake of the case of David Carrick who served as a Met officer for 20 years before being unmasked as one of the country's most prolific sex offenders. Even though this is a Met appeal, one in three of the calls coming through roughly are to up for other forces that we're passing information on as well. So um, I think we're sort of, through our, uh, our challenges, we're helping the rest of policing confront some issues as well. Sir Mark urged the public not to lose heart as the Met roots out hundreds of corrupt officers thought to be serving in the force. We must improve dramatically for London. But lifting the stone and revealing painful truths will not be resolved overnight. And I mustn't pretend it will do. And I hope you you understand that that can't be done. We have to prepare for more painful stories as we confront the issues that we face. Following Garrick's conviction, The Met is reviewing around 1,000 previous cases involving officers and staff who were accused of sexual offences or domestic violence to make sure that they were handled correctly. This is expected to be completed by the end of March. More than 3,000 police officers need to be hired within three months in England and Wales. That's for the government to hit its target to sign up 20,000 new recruits. Home Secretary Suella Braverman insists forces are on track to reach the milestone by the end of March. 
Opposition parties say the government is on course to miss the new recruits target. And it's reported that Metropolitan Police Commissioner Sir Mark Raleigh said he expects the target will be missed due to a rising number of officers quitting the Met and a tougher job market. Also in the UK, Amazon workers staged a strike in a dispute over pay and conditions. It's their first ever strike in the UK. It's over what they call an insulting pay raise of 5%, taking their pay to £10.50 or about $13 an hour. Members of the GMB union at the Amazon Fulfillment Centre in Coventry on Wednesday walked out. It was the first industrial action by the company's staff in the UK. A representative of the union said the workers have got nothing to lose. We're here tonight because Amazon workers have said that they have had enough. Um, They've worked all through the pandemic. It was horrendous within that warehouse during that time. Um, The pressure cooker environment that they work in anyway with the targets that they're expected to reach. Um, You know, they just wear them out, get rid of them, replace them. The union says Amazon has offered a pay rise worth 50 pence an hour, but the striking workers say they want to be paid £15 an hour. The GMB union says Coventry staff work under severe conditions. And the main thing is that they don't know what their targets are. It's all done by um, an algorithm. So if you can imagine turning up to work and not knowing if you're going to make the grade, and if you don't, you end up in a disciplinary. So they just have to work, 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 work. They're not allowed to talk to people. It's difficult to take a toilet break. In one of the other fulfillment centres, we were having people urinating in a bottle because they didn't want to take the time out and go to the toilet because it becomes idle time. We've got injuries. We've got... Um, you know, more ambulances coming to sites than any other warehouses across the country. It's understood that about 2,000 staff at the Coventry site, nearly 200 voted in favour of strike action. An Amazon spokesman says a tiny portion of their workforce were involved in the strike and the company offers competitive pay, which starts at around £11 per hour, depending on location. The spokesman also said Amazon is a safe place to work. He said the vast majority of ambulance call-outs were related to pre-existing conditions, not work-related incidents, and the staff can use the toilet whenever they like. The U.S. and Israel have launched one of their largest joint military drills. It's codenamed Juniper Oak. The operation is taking place this week in Israel and the eastern Mediterranean. 1,600 U.S. personnel are involved in the training, with 450 sent to Israel. Together, the two countries have deployed more than 140 aircraft, including America's B-52 strategic bombers and F-35 stealth fighters, among others. Training programs involve space assets, aircraft carrier strike groups, special operations forces, and more. Central Command says the exercise reinforces the U.S. commitment to the Middle East. A terrifying moment caught on camera. CCTV footage shows the moment of panic inside a bus as it fell into a lake. This happened in Turkey on Wednesday. The bus plunged into a reservoir after the driver lost control of steering. It was boarding a ferry to cross the lake when the accident occurred. Seven passengers were on board. Surveillance footage from inside the bus showed water flowing into the vehicle after it had fallen. The local governor said there were no fatalities as a result of the incident. Three passengers were hospitalized with non-life-threatening conditions. 
And just ahead, we take a look inside the new Long Island Railroad Terminal open just beneath the Grand Central Rail Hub. And a team of college students debuted their new invention, an autonomous rover, to help research in Antarctica. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. The long-delayed new terminal, Grand Central Madison in Manhattan, officially opened to the public yesterday. Let's take a look inside the first major train terminal to be built in the U.S. in 67 years. As the first passenger train pulls in at the 700,000-square-foot terminal, located below the current rail hub. Welcome to Grand Central Madison. This project is part of the first Long Island Railroad expansion since Penn Station opened more than 112 years ago. Starting January 25th, shuttle service will run with only one or two trains per hour. Full service will launch in at least three weeks. By then, up to 24 trains will serve the new station per hour. It's great. What's the best, awesome. what's the best thing about it? 40 minute less commute. <laughs> the project will give Long Island and Queens residents access to the east side. The $12 billion project took around 15 years, and it was plagued by major cost overruns and delays. The goal of the project is to divert some passengers from the overcrowded Pennsylvania station on the west side to Grand Central. An autonomous vehicle that roams the snow. A team of Dutch students is making a difference in scientific research. Here's a look at their latest invention. Students from a Dutch university presented their latest design, the ice cube. Our vehicle, as you can see, does look quite cubic, so it, it does, have, does resemble that shape quite a lot. It's quite a blocky vehicle, and we're aware of that. Uh, and of course, ice cube is a very nice name for this. And the, we also joke that the ice stands for internal combustion engine, which is exactly what we are uh, seeking to replace in Antarctica. The unmanned rover runs on solar power, aiming to collect climate data in the harsh conditions of Antarctica. For now, the prototype is controlled remotely, but eventually it will reach a full automation. Currently, there's nothing uh, like our vehicle uh, existing in Antarctica, and there are no really electric vehicles in this environment. What they use now are these very large fossil fuel-powered vehicles, which, of course, we want to transition away from towards a more electrified transportation system on the continent. The rover took two years to build. At the beginning of the project, there were six volunteers in Team Polar. Now they have 27 active members. At some points, yes, I thought it was quite impossible to do something. I even actually thought it way too far ahead for me to actually make, basically build a vehicle from the ground up. But evidently, I was proven wrong at many turns, which is what's make, made this whole process very exciting. The team says it will still take a few years before the rover is ready for testing in Antarctica. Next month, a NASA spacecraft carrying astronauts is set to blast off to the International Space Station. The launch will send an international crew into space. The crew members include two NASA astronauts, Stephen Bowen and Woody Hoberg, one astronaut from the United Arab Emirates, and one Russian cosmonaut. Relations between Russia and the U.S. have soured since the war started in Ukraine, but the two countries continue to work closely together on the ISS. The astronauts were asked to comment on the secret to working together in light of the conflict. 
I've been working and training with cosmonauts for over 20 years now, and uh, it's always been amazing the, once you get the space, just one crew, uh, one vehicle, and uh, we all have the same goal, and having the opportunity to train in Russia over the past uh, number of years, in addition to the past year, uh, you know, really focusing on the mission, that's why we're there, that's what we're there for. Emirati astronaut Sultan Al-Nayadi is also making the trip. It's a milestone for the UAE. He's the first mission specialist from the Arab world to spend six months carrying out experiments in the ISS. The mission is NASA's sixth flight involving a U.S. commercial spacecraft to rotate crew members on the ISS. The space station has been continuously occupied for two decades, but Russia plans to quit the aging project after 2024 and launch its own space station. Nuclear power could help transport humans to Mars one day. NASA is working with an arm of the Defense Department to develop a nuclear thermal rocket engine. The Space Agency and the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency want to create an engine that would rely on nuclear reactor. It would provide the thrust needed to propel a rocket through space. They tried to develop this type of technology before, but the program stalled. Tuesday, the space agency said their first tests could happen as soon as 2027. An asteroid is about to make a really close encounter with Earth, potentially one of the closest yet. Nothing to worry about, though. There is no risk of the asteroid dubbed 2023BU impacting our planet. The asteroid is about the size of a box truck. It will zoom over the southern tip of South America Thursday, about 2,200 miles above the Earth's surface. It's expected to turn into a fireball and disintegrate harmlessly in the atmosphere. The bigger debris will potentially fall as small meteorites. The asteroid was discovered by an amateur astronomer out of his observatory last Saturday. A Japanese telescope camera captured this glowing spiral in the sky over Hawaii. Researchers for the Subaru telescope noted on Twitter it seems to be related to the recent launch of a new SpaceX satellite. One expert says this usually occurs when a part of a satellite dumps fuel or generates a trail of exhaust while rotating. Similar events have been previously spotted, including shortly after a California Falcon 9 launch last year. Next up, we're going to look at how stress affects blood pressure and find a few ways to calm down. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Stress is a fact of life for many of us and we need to find a way to cope with it. If you're watching the news these days, I bet you're feeling stressed. Social media can make you feel stressed. For some, leaving home can send stress levels skyrocketing and it can all be boosting your blood pressure too. Stress can affect blood pressure in several ways. One example is when blood vessels tighten up to concentrate blood in the core of the body. This effect is caused by the release of stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. These also increase your heart rate. This fight or flight response will fade as the stressful period passes, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are out of the woods. There is data to suggest that chronic stress may have long-term effects on blood pressure. Chronic psychological stress may play a role in hypertension. A 2013 study found that stress resulting from work, marriage, social isolation and money troubles may contribute to lasting high blood pressure. Chronic stress may lead to behavioural changes that influence blood pressure. These coping mechanisms can also contribute to high blood pressure. Drinking, smoking, eating and staying in bed. 
These behaviors are associated with inflammation and arterial stiffness. Finding ways to treat stress may play a major role in long-term heart health. Thankfully, exercise can reduce both stress and blood pressure. For some, stress relief may require less time with television or social media. As an alternative, pick up a book that allows you to escape from the constant media barrage. If you don't like reading, find another productive activity that brings joy. Consider if you really need to learn everything as it's happening. The reality is, you don't. Consider looking into mindfulness or other forms of meditation or prayer. You might also need to consider making bigger changes, such as seeking new employment or leaving a relationship. Stress can put your heart at risk. Try finding ways to limit stress to lower blood pressure and reduce your risk of heart disease. Are you a cheese lover? Then this could be your dream job, literally. The website Sleep Junkie is looking for five dairy dreamers to test the theory that eating cheese before going to sleep gives you nightmares. Here's the job. Eat cheese every night at the same time before going to sleep and journal about how well you slept and any dreams or nightmares. Tasters should eat the same kind of cheese every night for a week, then take a week off before trying a new variety. To apply, you must be at least 21 years old, have a device that tracks sleep, and be able to sleep alone during the trial. You also can't have any sleep issues or be lactose intolerant. After three months, Dairy Dreamers will be paid $1,000 and will even be reimbursed for the cheese. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.